0: It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode is dedicated by the Weinberger family in honor of Mr. Avram Felsenberg, a proud and worthy descendant of the Chassam Seifer. Who continues to perpetuate his holy messiah, wishing him arichas yamim and health on his seventy-fifth birthday. So, believe it or not, we haven't really done an episode ever on the Chassam Sofer, which is pretty shocking. Um, Chassam Sofer was such an influential uh, individual who played such a um, you know outsized role in modern Jewish history. Um, who's one of those unique individuals that their impact continues to grow with time. Most most individuals their their impact diminishes or remains stable with time. And the Ksav Sefer is one of those who uh, who his, his influence continues to grow uh, with time. Um, and it's 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 pretty shocking that we haven't in, in Jewish history soundbites gotten to him yet. Him, his story, his world, his times. Um, first of all, his story is long, multifaceted, There's several different angles. It's very interesting. So you'd think we would have touched on some of it uh, at one point. Second of all, he has he you know plays plays a big role in history, both both important uh, role and a he's at a specific place at a specific time, a time of change, a time confronting the challenges of modernity and. To do what he did is, is quite a story. Um, and number three, his legacy. With all of the reality how he has impacted Orthodoxy in many ways, along with all the mythology and re- revisionism about the Chassam legacy, which I think is quite a story also. What people have uh, used uh, the Chassam Seyfer's legacy for their own agendas over the years. That's a um, uh, 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 very interesting thing. Also, Another reason why it's surprising that we haven't had an episode on him yet is that we have quite a few, uh, large percentage of listeners who are proud Hungarians, and the Chassam Seifer is the father of of a modern traditional Hungarian Jewry. And uh, you'd think that uh, all you know, many of these listeners would get up and say, "Hey, let's have an, a series on the Khsam Seifer." So it's a bit surprising. And um, so what struck me was that, um, would would possibly to answer this, was that the podcast sponsorships are a relatively new medium. So since the Chassam Cipher was the one who stood for Chodesh Asrman HaToyrah, so then no one wants to get up and sponsor an episode about the Chassam Cipher. So maybe that's why. I'm just kidding. Either way, taken together, it's really long overdue. We would love to do, I'd love to do a series on the Chassam Seifer and I'm sure many of our listeners would as well. So I want to take this opportunity to say that it's a great story for a multi-part series. Um, his life, his times, his world, his influence, his legacy. So contact me for sponsorships, uh, Yehuda at YehudiGabra.com, and I hope that we have many, many more episodes about the Chassam Seifer. So I'm glad that we're able to start with the story of him and his family. Um, of course, it's on, on, our, on the trips to Europe. He's, he's definitely one of the most frequent stops. It's very convenient. It's right outside of Vienna, uh, um, so we always go to his cover. It's quite often. Um, it's, it's 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 you know from the airport to Via, to from the Vienna airport to his gravesite. It's half hour, forty minutes tops. And it's it's very popular. It's sometimes a highlight of the trip, for many you know many times. Uh, there's a new Hachnasus Archim there when we go. Just recently opened. It's also very exciting to go there because the whole way where it was preserved. It's, it's, the old Jewish cemetery was almost destroyed during the war, and um, and miraculously, with the great great mesirus nefesh from members of the Bratislava Jewish community during the. I mean, it wasn't Nazi occupation, it was a Slovakian collaborationist regime. So it's different than direct Nazi occupation. That's probably how they were able to pull it off. Um, but they were able to uh, succeed, even though most of the cemetery was destroyed. But they are able to succeed in preserving the Hsamssefer section of the cemetery underground, actually. So you kind of like go into this cave underground to go to it. it adds to the aura and the atmosphere of like, you're going to the Ghazam Sever, it's like you're spelunking into the, you know. Actually, I spoke to older people who went uh, 30 years ago and, and, and it was really climbing underground. Now it's more organized. You, you walk in through this like, you know, tunnel. Either way, so, so it, it's, it's fun to go to his cover as well. Um, the This episode will focus on one of the many, many facets of his story. I'll try to do a brief overview of the Chassam Seyfer's biography, the, the, you know, just a short, actually the steps of his life and where he was rabbi and so on. I'm not going to delve into any point of that uh, this time because I'm hoping that we have a future opportunity to do so. What I would like to focus is on his family, and I'll explain why. Uh, a few points are in order when we discuss the Chassam Seyfer's family. Number one... Every Hungarian that I know thinks they're an Einikel of the Cypher. Every single trip, without exception, about half the bus sidles over to me at some point and confides with much pride that that what he thinks makes him completely unique because he's convinced that no one else in the world has this distinction. And he quietly says to me, with a twinkle in their eye, I'm an Einikel. Or an Einikel. A lot of them say Einikel. And Sometimes it's even true. Uh, sometimes they're actually a And And um, it's, it's definitely a sense of pride. It just happens to be that half the world is. Uh, that doesn't diminish uh, the pride that anyone can have. And it's justified to have such yichas to the Chassam Seifer is a beautiful thing, and I wish I did, and I'm kind of jealous. So the Chassam Seifer had this enormous family with thousands of descendants by now, and many survived the Holocaust or got out before, although many were definitely fell victim uh, and were killed in the Holocaust as well. So it would have, potentially it's even bigger. Um, there are quite a few uh, um, descendants of the Chesem running around. There's this famous uh, joke that people say, I, I mean, I never repeat it, of course, but people have said it on trips, that there was this museum in, 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 uh, in Hungary or, or Slovakia or whatever, one of those areas, that there was a Hungarian Jew as an exhibit. So someone said, what is this? Why do you have this? Hungarian Jew as an exhibit. So they said, well, this is the only Hungarian Jew we found who's not an enical of the chassam cipher. So we decided to put him as an exhibit because it's a unique status. That's, of course, you know, in all in good humor. but So that's one thing. Since that there's such a large family out there and such a legacy and many prominent members of this family have also left an impact, so I wanted to discuss about it as well, just in a not in a genealogical sense, but more in of a historical sense to trace it through the generations, to understand what type of uh, army the uh, Chassam Seifer created just from his family. By the way, his students are a big part of his legacy also, but that's another story. In fact, that's another interesting story because one of the Chassam Seifer's more famous students was Rabbi Hillel Lichtenstein. Uh, they sometimes refer to him as Rabbi Hill Kolomaya because he was the rabbi in the town of Kolomaya. And uh, he was a... A very, um, very uh, fiery individual, a fighter, a, a an extremist in many ways, and he was not happy with what he perceived as a moderate stance taken by members of the Chassam family. He felt that the true legacy of Khsam Seifer was by the Khsam Seifer's students, such as himself, and not through his family, the Ksav Seifer, his son, who the Rebbe Lichtenstein felt was uh, was being too moderate. He felt that the Ksav Sefer was being too moderate. He he said, uh, you know, who's the real family? The real family is his students. You know, he said a whole a whole thing about it. And of course, that's always the question: is his descendants uh, his the core of his legacy, or is it his students, or is it a combination of both, um, or is it or do we ask the people who see themselves as continuing his legacy whether it's there's an objective truth to it or not? Because who says there is an objective truth to it? And anyone who perceives themselves as a follower of the Chassam Seifer, regardless of his familial status or student status, they they can justifiably just justifiably claim the crown of of being uh, you know continuing that tradition. Uh, so it's always very much in dispute, and each uses it to their understanding and to fit their own agenda. Uh, for instance, the way. The Hasidic community, especially Hungarian Hasidim, have engaged in a revisionism over the last century or so uh, to retroactively make the Chassam Seifer into a Hasid or a Rebbe uh, because the Oberland uh, Hungarian Jewish community has you know, um, pretty much disappeared by now. And the uh, Hungarian Hasidic community adopted the Chassam Seifer. And the, the issue is the Chassam Seifer came from Frankfurt and was from Ashkenaz and Yaki. And, Oberland. and so, you know, we have to fix that. So we have to change his uh, uh, top hat, which he wore as a rabbi in Preshburg, a stovepipe uh, top hat. And it was referred to as a cylinder at that time. And we have to redraw the picture with a strimal. He has to be wearing a strimal. So that's um, things like that. Um, but that's 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 of course uh, another story as well. The Chesam influence in his own lifetime didn't go beyond the Hungary, Austria, Slovakia area. Definitely never reached Poland, Lithuania, Russia, where the majority of the world Jewish population lived. They may have heard of him, but not much of an influence, almost zero influence or impact in those areas. So it only grew beyond his spectrum of influence after the war, when his legacy came to define the boundaries of ultra-Orthodoxy and the rebuilding after the war in Israel, to a certain extent in the United States as well. So like I said, his impact grows with time. So that's really, really a testimony to his uh, the strength of his legacy and the, his convictions and his teachings. So between his large and prestigious family and his principal students, they dominated rabbinic life of the countries of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and later the former Austro-Hungarian Empire, right up until the war. So it's definitely a very, very good story. So, just a basic overview of the Yitzhak Sofer's biography, the time period that he lived, the phases of his life, the positions that he had. Um, He was one of the most influential and fascinating personalities of modern Jewish history, in many ways, one of the primary shapers of traditional Jewish life in the modern era. He's referred to often as the Father of Orthodoxy or the founder of Orthodoxy, because there's a big misconception out there that um, that uh, that Orthodoxy in the modern era is basically a continuation of traditional Jewish life of the pre-modern era. It's uh, simply not the case. It's not true, and it can be easily demonstrated in many ways. The uh, pre-modern era, the you know, it could be a traditional Jew living an observant Jewish life, following the Torah and mitzvot in a traditional sense. Um, But um, that's not orthodoxy. Orthodoxy was the confrontation of the Jewish community with the modern world, the changing world, in a political sense, technology, changing economies, emancipation, all these external influences, and to a much lesser extent, internal changes also, Um, but that had much less of an impact on traditional Jewish life. It was much more the external influences, which I've mentioned before. And orthodoxy develops mechanisms of response, new institutions, new responses, new ways of dealing with halacha and custom, minhag, leadership, organization, media, uh, political organization, um, education, yeshivas, eventually girls' education, new emphasis on their spiritual life, in the Hasidic world, and the yeshiva world, the Muslim movement, Neo-Orthodoxy in Germany and other areas. So all these are uh, the responses of traditional Jewish life to the challenges that they were confronting in the modern era. And therefore, Orthodoxy is a new phenomenon. It's a product of modernity. So in, in it's, what's fascinating about it is that you have a conservative lifestyle, which is essentially a modern movement, which is, you know, a fascinating story. And the Ksam Seifer is one of the defining figures of that, and he's one of the first ones as well. He understood it probably better than anyone else, and he created a coherent system and answers and responses earlier than everyone else, and that's what makes him so great and influential um he real took real initiative real leadership and uh and and did what he did and that's what makes him such an important uh figure in history um which is something we'll perhaps explore uh more in the um in the uh uh, in future episodes, so his we always call him the Chassam cipher, but he had, actually had a name. His name was Ramesius Cipher or Schreiber. He came from a family of uh, of Seifrim, so they were either called Cypher in Hebrew or Schreiber in German. Uh, he was born in Frankfurt in Germany in western Germany in seventeen sixty two and he's a student of the local rabbi of Pinchas Horowitz, the Hafla, but his primary teacher, to whom he was devoted his entire life and shaped his outlook, was Rav Adler, who was also a fascinating figure, and for a later, also discuss him later on when we talk about the for further. Now, the Samsefer also studied in nearby in Mainz for a period of time, his, and during his couple of years that he left Frankfurt for Mainz, before his return to Frankfurt, His curriculum in Mainz included general studies, math, astronomy, history, other subjects. Later on in life, he'd even hire private tutors to teach his own children, the Shim Shemcifer, all his children, general studies uh, of those that I mentioned and similar subjects, including languages as well, because he felt it was important. And he didn't see anything fundamentally wrong with general studies. He was a fighter against modernity and how to confront those challenges and how it was having an adverse effect on traditional Jewish norms, but that didn't mean that there was something fundamentally wrong with general knowledge per se, which was an interesting distinction that he himself made. Uh, when he was about 20 years old, he left Frankfurt with his teacher, Reb Nussen Adler, as a result of the latter's activities in Frankfurt with the established, the establishment, the kahal and the rabbinate viewed with askance as a, this whole story of Nussen Adler and his mysticism and his Group that he had of his students, that he and the customs that he had. Um, the Chsamseifer never returned to his hometown, he never went back to Frankfurt. He was a teacher in Prusnitz for several years, and he was a rabbi of Dreschnitz uh, in 1794. A few years later, in 1798, he was appointed to the rabbinate of Matersdorf in Bergenland, and he remained there for nearly a decade. Um, he had a yeshiva there as well. In 1807, he becomes the rabbi of Preschburg. Later on, that's known as Bratislava, which is it's known today. Um, and he remained there for the rest of his life, 33 years. He was the rabbi there until his passing in 1839. He had a lot of positions. He was the community rabbi of a very large and prestigious community. He was a Rish yeshiva of the yeshiva that he founded, very large and important, and one of the most important yeshivas in the world, the Pressburg Yeshiva. And he was an educator. He actually viewed himself as an educator. He saw that as his primary profession. He also was a world-renowned paisik in halacha, um, and he wrote Chuvus and, and paskindan shilas to for all, you know all over the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Although at the time the Avbezdin, the head of the rabbinical court in Pressburg, for a half a century, from before he arrived until several years after his passing, was someone else. It was Reb Rabdan- Prushtitz was a very, very important figure, very close to the Chassam Seifer for for all the years. He was an interesting personality. We'll have to get back to him sometime in the future. Um, He's buried next to him in that underground uh, cave. Uh, The Chassam Seifer is also the author of an almost unparalleled number of works covering the length and breadth of every conceivable area of Torah, mysticism, drush, uh, everything. Literally covers everything. He was also an Perhaps his greatest uh, component of his legacy is that he was a real and true leader uh, of the Jewish people on a national stage. He took initiative, responsibility, responded to the times. That's the most famous part, and that what's what needs to be explored most in depth. You know, the slogan that is attributed to him, "Chadash What that means, what you know, some put some nuance and perspective to it. What exactly was he up against? What was the context of that time? What was going on in Germany and Hungary at the time? A lot of that needs to be discussed, but now we're going to focus on him and on his uh, family. So let's move over to his family, actually. Um, his first marriage was, when he was a young man, was to Sara Malka, the daughter of a fellow by the name of Reb Meisha of Pruschnitz. The uh, Chesem was in his 20s when he got married. It seems like it was in the late 1780s that he uh, was in his first marriage, and he did not have any children from his first wife. They were married for well over 20 years and never had children. In 1812, his wife passed away. He was already the rabbi of Pressburg for about five years at this time. So here he is at the pinnacle of his career. uh, No children. His wife passed away. He's at this prestigious rabbinical position, very famous already. Um, And he marries a second time. He marries the recently widowed daughter of Rabbi Kiva Eger, uh, also one of the greatest rabbinical figures of the day, uh, who's then the rabbi of Poznan in, in the Prussian area of Poland. Um, and Rabbi Kiva Eger and the Chesam were very close. They were less than a year apart. And Rabbi Kiva Eger's daughter, Saral, uh, I guess it's a diminutive of Sarah, she was 22 years old. Her first husband was a Bavro Meshach who was only 24 when he passed away. And this uh, shirich was arranged with the Chassam Seifer. And she married, married the Chassam Seifer in 1813 in the city of Eisenstadt. In fact, the story is told, I don't know if it's uh, true, that uh, she told her father, Rebekah Eger, when they're about to walk down to the chuppah, she turns to her father and said, but he's so old. And Rebekah Ve'eger says to his daughter, Sarol, he's getting older every second, run quickly. Um, so that's what they say. Again, you, know, you never know if these stories are true, but it gives a sense of the uh, the greatness uh, of this family. All of the Chassam Seifer's children were from this marriage. There were four sons and seven daughters. A few of them, unfortunately, as was common at the time, died uh, when they were young, children, babies. Um, but um, all of his children came from this marriage. In 1832, Surrel uh, passed away uh, after they were married for close to 20 years. In 1835, a few years later, he married for a third time Chaya Heller from a prominent Galicia family. Uh, she had been married to Rabbi Svi Hirsch Heller, who was a rabbi in Galicia. later moved to Hungary. Um, again, they were both elderly at this time, so they did not have any uh, children. So all of his children are Enekelach of Rebiki yet strangely enough, Whenever you speak to the Einiklech of the Chassam Sofer, you primarily hear from them their yichus to the Chassam Sofer, much less so to Rabbi Vegar. But that's that's the way it works. That's the uh, that's the ebb and flow of life. So the oldest son of the Chassam Sofer is famously Rav Ram Shmuel ben Yamin Sofer, known as the Ksav Sofer, and he succeeded his father as the Rabbi of Preshberg and as the Rosh Yeshiva of the prominent yeshiva in Pressburg, when the yeshiva actually reaches its full glory under the Ksav Cypher, and interestingly enough, he remains at the, at the stewardship of both the yeshiva and the community for 33 years, exactly like his father. The yeshiva at this time doubles its student body, and numbered in the hundreds, producing rabbis, uh, community rabbis and Rashi Yeshiva, across the Austro-Hungarian Empire, within... A generation or two, almost all rabbis across the Austro-Hungarian Empire were products of the Preschberg yeshiva system. An incredible, incredible impact uh, so quickly. Um, the Ksav Seifer, like I mentioned earlier, was considered relatively moderate. Again, you have to take the word relatively importantly. Um, and he even entertained the idea of neo-orthodoxy in Hungary. Wow. Uh, we usually assume that that was exclusively in Germany. Um, the Ksav Seyfer toyed with the idea of implementing that in Hungary as well, along the lines that Rabbi Israel Hildesheimer, Hildesheimer was uh, uh, already doing at that time. And he was in, in Hungary, in Eisenstadt, later on he moved to Berlin. Um, and the Ksav Seyfer also employed a, a Magir to deliver sermons in German in Pressburg, which caused quite a stir because that was, not, that was in the vernacular. Um, you know, that's that was heretical to have something in the vernacular, of course. If you have your community rabbi who delivers his sermon in English from the pulpit, then you can assume that uh, that's that's uh, you know, it's definitely not an orthodox synagogue, uh, but of course, things have changed in the twenty by the 21st century. I'm just kidding, um. But um, at that time, he was denounced by the more conservative students of his father for being too moderate because he had hired someone to preach in German. Um, he was not extreme enough in his opposition to the growing and emerging Neolog uh, movement in Hungary. Uh, that's what he was accused of. Um, he passed away in 1871. He was also a prolific author, many farm. He's buried in the new cemetery, the new Jewish cemetery. Further up the mountain where the Chesam Seifer is, when we go with the groups, we try to have time to climb up uh, further up to the new cemetery, which is uh, not destroyed. It's a big, big, beautiful cemetery, and that's where the Chesam Seifer and some other prominent individuals are buried. Another son of the Chsam Seifer was uh, Reb Shimon Seifer, who was 19, only 19 when his father passed away. He was a rabbi in Matazdorf, where his father had been rabbi for a time. So the Rav Shimon Seifer was a rabbi there for 18 years. And in 1861, he was appointed to the rabbinate of Krakow. So here you have a member of the family reaching Galicia, Poland, essentially. But the Galicia part of Poland, where he remained for 22 years until his passing in 1883. We go to his grave also in the new Krakow Jewish Cemetery, uh, just outside the old Jewish quarter of Krakow, on our visits to Krakow. Uh, Reb and Seifer took a very active stance in the leadership of the broader community in Galicia. Together with the Belzer Eber Reb Shila, they founded the first Orthodox political party, possibly in history. They named it Mahziki Hadas, and they had a newspaper even called Machziki Hadas. again in the 1860s uh, uh, and 70s. This is very, very unique and forward-looking um, The Reb Shimon Seifer, in fact, was the first Orthodox Jew elected to the Austrian Parliament in Vienna in 1879. Um, And he even met the Emperor Franz Josef. He was uh, involved in activities promoting settling the Holy Land. Um, He was a fascinating individual as well. There was another Sandekh Sam Seifer, interesting story. Reb Yosef Yuzpa Seifer, who was a businessman, and tragically, a very, very tragic story, he was eventually murdered in an in incident, it seemed to be like a business-related, someone who owed him a debt or something. I didn't get the whole story. Very very uh, sad, but he's another branch of the family. His widow moved to Satmar, so their descendants moved over to that part of the world. Um, there was a, another few children who died young. There was a son, Yitzhak Leib, a daughter named Esther. Others, there was another daughter named Gittel. Uh, her husband was Rebelio Kornitzer. He passed away in his uh, 20s. And his children, who married cousins into the into the into the family, um, they became uh, you know the Kornitzer's became prominent uh, descendants of the Chassam Seifer. They were rabbis in Krakow right up until the war. But she remarried. This Gitel remarried Reb Shleim Zalman Spitzer. Uh Rp Shleim Zalman Spitzer eventually was in Vienna, and he was uh, he was in charge of the legendary Schiffshul in Vienna. It was a very famous shul. It was the center of the Oberland, the Seifer style Hungarian community in the capital of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And Yerushalayim Zalman Spitzer was this, this uh, essentially son-in-law of the Chesam Seifer who, who uh, ran it for many years and his descendants as well. So you have the Kornitzer and Spitzer families who are descendants too. There was another daughter named Hindel and her husband was a Davidsví Ehrenfels. So the Ehrenfels, who again are associated with Mattesdorf, but they're descendants of the Chesam Seifer as well. The Falls, the Glasner branches of the Chesam Seifer's family come from this daughter. There was uh, Yutl, who was the hu- her husband was Yisrael Geiger. There was another daughter named Reisel, but I think she passed away young also. There was a daughter named Reichel, whose husband was Ritzvihu the Friedman. Uh, and so on and so forth. The youngest daughter was named Simcha. She was the youngest daughter of the Chesam the youngest child, I believe, of the Chesam Seifer. She lived a very long life she passed away in 1911. So imagine, in the early 1900s, there was still a child of the Chassam Seifer around. This is uh, 70 plus years after her father had passed away. Incredible. Her husband was Ramesh Tuvia Liman, So that's another branch. But if we move on, they continue to have an influence in generation after generation. You have the children of the Chassam Seifer, He had quite a few children. The two famous sons were Reb Simcha Seifer, the Shavit Seifer, who succeeded him as rabbi and Rosh Yeshiva in Preshburg. He passed away in 1906 in Frankfurt when he was visiting there to receive medical care and the Frankfurt community wanted him to be buried there, which would have been interesting because it would have been coming full circle, a Seifer, a grandson of Chesam Seifer being buried in the Seifer's original hometown, but that didn't materialize and they returned him to Preshburg, Bratislava essentially at that time, to be buried next to his father, the Ksav Seifer, in the cemetery on top of the mountain, like I said before. Um, he was succeeded by his son, Rabbi Akiva Seifer, who was the last rabbi and Resheshiva of Preshburg, in Preshburg, when it was already Bratislava, the capital of Slovakia. He was a fascinating individual. He was independently quite wealthy. He owned shares in the Romanian oil fields, which was quite a lucrative investment at the time. So he never took a salary from the Bratislava Jewish community, and he, he instead supported Torah scholars in the increasingly secularized pret, pret, uh, the community, Br- uh, Bratislava community. He wanted to enhance the, the uh, Torah community. He lived through very changing times. In 1939, following the Nazi takeover of Czechoslovakia and the installation of a fascist, Collaborationist puppet regime in Slovakia, Rabbi Kiva Seifer escaped to Switzerland and from there to Palestine, and he renounced any rabbinic career aspirations at that time and declared. That he wants to live as a simple Jew in Jerusalem. He did found the Prashburg Yeshiva in Givat Shaul in Jerusalem, but it did not actually, uh, it didn't really achieve uh, the renown or the prestige of its antecedent in, in, in Europe. Uh, um, unfortunately, he and many other members of the Sofer family were prominent in the Israel, Yisrael, uh, very active in Agudas Yisrael. Uh, he passed away in 1959. He had a fascinating son-in-law. One of his son-in-laws was a fellow by the name of Philip Freudiger who is the head of the Orthodox community in Budapest, and he served in a very controversial role during the Holocaust, which is a great story on its own merit. Hopefully we'll get to that one day, his involvement in the Kastner train and who he was able to get on it and who he didn't get on it, and the information that he received from Rebbe Weismandel, the the Verbe Wetzler uh, Auschwitz uh, protocols, and what he chose to do or not to do with that information, and uh, his testimony at the Eichmann trial, which... Caused a big to do in the courtroom, and you know, a whole very interesting story. It's a lot of fun stuff. We'll have to save that for another time. There was another son of the Ksav Seifer named Reb Shimon Seifer. He was the rabbi of the town of Ager in Hungary for 64 years. It's, it's, I mean, that's got to be one of the longest rabbinical careers in one place in, in history. Um, it's right near Mishkultz, and for those who don't know where that is, it's about an hour and a half drive to the west of Karastir since. That would help people place it easier. The Jews referred to it as was their custom by its German name, Erlau or Erloy. Um, he had 15 children, the majority of whom were killed in the Holocaust, including him. He was 94 years old when the Nazis invaded Hungary and when he was deported to Auschwitz and he was killed there in the gas chambers. Imagine that, grandson of Sam Seifer, great, great tzaddik, 94 years old, killed in Auschwitz in the gas chambers. Um, one of his surviving grandchildren was Rabbi Yechanan Seifer, who eventually moved to Israel and established the Erloi community in Katamon, Yerushalayim, who's also a fascinating story in his own right, because Erloi kind of evolved into a Hasidic court. Uh, Rabbi Yechanan Seifer was, of course, close with the Belz so that had a, an influence there. But since he was also a descendant of the Chassam Seifer, he retained elements of the Oiberland Ashkenaz, including the nusach that they daven as Ashkenaz, so you have this you have this Ashkenaz uh, Hasidic court. So it's like this, you know, a little bit of dissonance there. Um, but at the same time, that's just a couple of famous children of the Ksav Seyver. The Ksav had several other children who were not as famous. In fact... The oldest ones were not his successors. Uh, they deferred to their younger siblings. His oldest son was uh, named Reb Akiva Seyfer, and he turned down the opportunity to succeed his father. He felt he was too physically weak, he had some health issues, and he was not able to undertake this burden and responsibility. He resided in the town of Mi'ava, which is north of Bratislava, near the Czech border. His daughter, Roiza, married a wealthy Vienna banker and communal activist in the Vienna Orthodox community, Named Avram or Adolf Felsenberg, their son, Rabbi Nachum Moshe Felsenberg, was one of the rebuilders of Oberland in the post-war United States with his activities in the Vienna community and the Nitra community. He was very involved in that uh, in those places uh, to make it relevant to contemporary listeners, uh, especially people like me who have, uh, you know, ancient roots in Muncie. So the legendary. Uh, educator for Muncie, Rabbi Herschel Mashinsky of blessed memory, who I was privileged to know when I was growing up. He was married to the daughter of Rabbi Nacho Meishe Felsenberg. The Ksav Seifer had many other children. Um, There was the children of Reb Shimon Seifer, that rabbi from Krakow, who I mentioned earlier. Um, His nephew, Rabbi Akiva Kornitzer, became his son-in-law, and the Kornitzer family were prominent Krakow rabbis until the war. Another branch of this family moved to Warsaw, and there in Warsaw, in the middle of Poland, you had descendants of the Khsam Seifer. So at least one branch made it all the way out of Hungary, all the way to Warsaw before the war. Uh, so you have this incredible dynasty, as it were, um, and uh, that's the basic idea of who the Khsam Seifer was and his family. And I hope that we have the opportunity in the future to have more episodes devoted to the story, to really get into the the, um, the real story of Lachsam Seifer about his leadership and his position in Pressburg and in the Austro-Hungarian Empire um, uh, through that time, through that you know changing times and the challenges that he confronted along the way. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at yehuda at yehuda.yehudageber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform and I hope you enjoyed.